Go tell it on the mountain. It's a story that we need to tell. Amen? And people are willing to hear it. Obviously not everybody wants to hear it, but there are people who are willing to hear the good news about Jesus. Just yesterday, I have to tell you this, I was sitting talking with someone, sharing the good news of Jesus, the story of Jesus. And when I got to the point of Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead, I said, did you know? Because I could see this blank look on her face. I said, did you know Jesus raised from the dead? And she said, no. She did not know. There are people right here in Bourbon County who don't know the good news. They need to hear the good news of Jesus. It's a message that can save them from their sins. I, I want to encourage you, uh, when uh, Christmas Eve night, come here, 6 o'clock, we have our Christmas Eve service. It will be a wonderful service uh, for you to have uh, fellowship with other Christians, celebrating the birth of Jesus. Bring your family with you if they are here. And uh, I just hope that we'll, we'll see you here that evening. If you have been with us these last few weeks, you'll know that we have been in a Christmas series looking at the Christmas story from the different perspectives of the Gospel writers. Matthew had his perspective, which is a different emphasis than what Luke had in his writing. And as we looked at last week, John's writing, he had yet a different emphasis or a different perspective than what Matthew or Luke had. I, I had someone say to me last Sunday, they didn't realize that John dealt with the Christmas story in his writing at all, and, and certainly he does. Now, not in the same way as what Matthew and Luke do with all of the particular details about the birth of Jesus and that holy night in Bethlehem, but John's perspective is, is truly unique, and it's one that we should not miss. Now, Mark, you remember, did not deal with the Christmas story at all, which does put me in somewhat of a dilemma, because we've had four Sundays uh, to be in this series, and we've got three Gospels giving us, each one, their own perspective, and that leaves us today, Christmas Sunday, in which I want to continue this series. So this is the direction that I want to go today. The Christmas story from heaven's perspective. There has been a phrase in Scripture that has always intrigued me. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. It's the phrase, things into which angels long to look. Now think about that phrase. Things into which angels long to look. It's the same phrase that is used of John running to the empty tomb that early Sunday morning after Jesus had been raised from the dead. You remember, John ran ahead of Peter and he got there first. But he didn't go in. The text in John chapter 20 says that he stooped to look into the tomb. And he saw the grave clothes there, 
Verse 11 of that same chapter says the same thing about Mary Magdalene. She too stooped and looked into the tomb. Now I get the sense from those two verses that this was not just a casual look into the tomb. No, they checked it out. They searched it thoroughly with their eyes and they took in all of the facts. They, they saw that the body of Jesus was not there. And they saw, too, that the grave clothes were there. The face cloth, cloth which had been on his face, on his head, was laid aside separately and it was rolled up. John and Mary were clued in to what they were seeing that early Sunday morning. And so, too, the angels were watching closely from the halls of heaven as this salvation story unfolded in front of them. They did not know the full plan of God. Now let that sink into your mind for a moment. The angels in heaven did not know the full plan of God. And I, I wanted to be sure about that. That's, that's what I had picked up from Scripture through the years. And so I communicated this last week with Mark Scott at, at Ozark Christian and Matt Proctor. And I said, I just want to be sure. I, I do not want to mislead the people. This is the direction that I'm going Sunday morning. But I want to make sure that, that this is actually the truth. That the angels were not aware fully of the salvation story and Matt Proctor answered me back and both of them actually in agreement but Matt said this that he felt like the angels were more in the dark than in the than in the know and so as this story unfolds the angels from above are like little kids at a circus they're they're taking it all in they are looking to see as it happens or I could say it this way. They were like my daughter-in-law, Shauncey, this last summer. I took her and Jonathan, my son, to a Cardinals ball game in St. Louis. And this was her first Cardinals game in Bush Stadium. And I was, I was just curious to watch her through the game. Her eyes were wide open. I mean, she was on full alert. She was seeing everything around her, that which was on the field, yes. But more than that, she was watching the whole, the whole experience. She was taking it in. What was in the stands, the people around her, the scoreboard, the video replay, the entertainment between the innings. She was taking it all in. And likewise, the angels were on full alert. They were looking to see what was unfolding in front of them. I can almost hear them ooing and eyeing. They're straining their necks. They're all scrambling for a front row seat. They want to see this mystery that is being unveiled in front of them. And to this point, that has, that's exactly what it has been. It has been a mystery. God's plan has had a veil put over it. And now they have picked up on bits and pieces here and there. But it's still a mystery to them. They don't see the whole plan. It's like a puzzle that has this 
this missing piece. And, and they can't see the plan without that missing piece. I went and saw the Star Wars movie last night. Good movie. And, and if you've seen it, that's actually a part of the plot that, that they're looking... Everybody's looking for Luke Skywalker. Uh, the, 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 the dark side is looking for him, wanting to destroy him. The good side, the force, they're wanting to have him on their side. They, they want to find him so that they can, they can get ahead. And, and so everybody's looking for Luke Skywalker. And there's a puzzle. And part of the puzzle each side has. And, but there is a missing piece to the puzzle. And, and for all of these years, they've not been able to find Luke Skywalker w- without this missing piece. And finally, at the end of the movie, they find the missing piece and they put it into place. And as it is about to be put into place, everybody in the room is like this. They're, they're watching, they're waiting, they're anticipating. And that is exactly how it was, I think, with the angels as God finally is about to put into this place, into this puzzle, the missing piece. And they can't wait to see what it is. Indeed, we are talking about things into which angels long to look. And when God put the piece of the puzzle down and the veil was lifted, My, my, oh my, were the angels shocked. The Son of God had taken on flesh. Can you imagine the stir amongst the heavenly host? Can you hear their gasp and their whispering to one another? The Creator had become the created. The Lord of the universe became a helpless babe in a manger. I mean, this is the one to whom the angels had bowed their knee and they had sang to him songs of worship. And now he was gone from heaven and he had come down to this earth. It's the truth of Philippians chapter 2 where it says, He existed in the form of God but he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Brothers and sisters, our God can fully understand us because he created us, but also because he came down here and he walked in our shoes. It truly is an amazing story of love and sacrifice. He left the splendor of heaven. He left the comfort of heaven. He left His Father's side where He had been for all eternity. He stripped Himself of His heavenly glory and power and authority to come here and take on human weakness where He would be tempted and He would be rejected and He would be experiencing pain and sorrow and hunger and tiredness. Indeed, the angels were straining their necks to see. 
But let me remind you, though the angels were shocked, all of this was God's plan from the very beginning of time. Even before the world was created, this redemption plan was in place. This was not plan B. This was plan A of God. And it was going all according to His plan. There were no hitches in His plan. Jesus was born of a virgin in a very humble setting. Now, you would think that the Son of God would have been born in a palace where there were lots of pomp and circumstance. You would think that He would be born to a people of of means who could give to Him everything that the world could offer to Him. But that wasn't how it was. Instead, His mom and dad, Mary and Joseph, were people of poverty. He was born in a stable because there was no room for them in the inn. He had a manger of hay for his bed. He had the aroma of cow dung all around. He had the bleeding of sheep as his welcoming band. Now I will say this. He did have an angel choir sing. And that was quite unique. Any of us here, as you were born, have you, did you have an angel choir sing when, at your birth, anybody? I, I didn't think so. I certainly didn't. Jesus had an angel choir sing at his birth. I wonder which king or prince they sang to to announce his coming. <laughs> I, I wonder what parliament they serenaded. It wasn't that way, was it? No, Luke 2 says they sang to some lowly shepherds out on a Bethlehem hillside. Glory to God in the highest and on earth among men. Peace with whom he is pleased. It was a message of God from the beginning that Jesus had come for all people. He didn't come just for the high and mighty, although they were welcome too. He came for the lowly. He came for the poor and the sick and the crippled. He came for anyone that would accept Him as Savior. The truth was made evident. This truth that He came for all people was made evident throughout His entire time here upon the earth. Those three years of ministry, particularly as they are highlighted for us in the Gospels. We see him having time for the lepers, and we see him having time for the sick, and we see him having time for the blind, and we see him having time for the woman with the issue of blood. We see him having time for those who were demon-possessed. We see him having time for all people. For the rich too, he went into Simon the Pharisee's house and spent the evening with him. He came for all people. And that means he came for you and me. To be our Savior and our Lord. Now, there is another scene of the Christmas story from heaven's perspective that is quite different than what you and I are used to seeing. My, my wife, I, I need to tell you, she 
for years has collected nativities. This was something that she started way back in, right after we got married, she started collecting nativities. And uh, it's come to a point the last few years where she no longer collects nativities because she's got them coming out her ears. <laughs> uh, last count, she had between, somewhere between 40 and 50 nativities. And so as Christmas comes around each year, I, we have nativities just everywhere around our house. And they're all of different sizes and different costs. But one thing I've noticed about every one of those nativities is they have three figures in common. And you know which ones those three are. The baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph. All nativities have those three figures in, in common. And then from there it, it varies with, with each nativity. Some, as they're bigger sets, they, they go beyond the three. They may have the wise men and they have the shepherds. And, uh, or they, they may have a cow or they have a donkey or a sheep. A common, common place in the nativity set are, are camels. An angel is often hanging around. All of these pieces are pretty ordinary when it comes to a nativity set. But I recently saw a picture of a nativity set that got my full attention. And I think I have a picture of it. I hope I do. And you see the three common figures, Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus right there. And actually, uh, here in the forefront of the picture, on the left, uh, the bottom corner, uh, you see a cow. And then you see on the right corner, you can't see them very well, but you, if you look really close, right at the bottom of the, of the picture, there's two sheep. And all of that's pretty common, but you can't help but miss the one right in the middle next to the cradle you see a red dragon kind of almost eerie isn't it but it may be the most accurate portrayal of the nativity that I have ever seen because you know he was there the eyes of heaven could see him there and as the angels are longing to look and seeing as this picture, this salvation story is unfolding, I can't help but imagine in my mind that there's a, a gasp. As the eyes of heaven look and they see a red dragon there in the, in the nativity scene. And you know he was there. He was lurking. I, I don't think probably Mary and Joseph could see him there, but he was there. He was lurking. He was watching. He was scheming as to how he might destroy this child. And of course, the dragon is the devil. Are you familiar with Revelation chapter 12? Let me read it to you. The first 12 verses. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman. 
clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of twelve stars and she was with child. She cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and on his heads were seven diadems and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God in his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war and they were not strong enough and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame Him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Indeed, the devil was there on that Bethlehem night. And while everyone else was full of joy over the birth of the Christ child, the dragon was seething. He was full of hate and he was scheming how he might destroy the child. And you know, this conflict started a long, long time before this holy night. You can read about it in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28. Satan once held a very high position in heaven. He was, in fact, the highest angel and the most beautiful angel of God. Ezekiel 28:14 says this of the devil, "You were the anointed cherub who covers." I looked at a footnote in my study Bible just to see if there was anything written about that statement and the footnote was indeed there. It says this, "He, the devil, occupied a special place of prominence in guarding the throne of God. But as he was so close to God, he became full of himself. He became envious of God's power and he wanted that power for himself. And so he rebelled against God and there was a war in heaven, says Revelation chapter 12. But he and those angels, a third of the angels, Revelation says, they were 
no match for God's army. Verse 8 of Revelation 12 says, They were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. Verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down. He was thrown out of heaven. And he was thrown down. And I want you to remember this. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. He still cannot stand up to the power of God. But don't you know he was ticked off as he was thrown out? And so when he had a chance to deceive Adam and Eve, that's what he did. His attack against them was really an attack against God who created them. And he has been doing that to every person ever since. And what a mess the world has become. And so through the ages, not only was mankind needing redeemed, but the creation itself was crying out to heaven for a redeemer, for someone to come and free them. And the Lord God heard that cry, and He sent His only begotten Son into the world to redeem the world and to save the world from its slavery to corruption. And as soon as that Christ child was born, Satan was there lurking, scheming how he might spoil the plan of God. And the angels were longing to look to see how the story might unfold. And my, oh my, were the stakes so high Because all of heaven and all of earth was dependent upon the child staying safe from the dragon. Matthew chapter 2 gives us more insight into this story. We have wise men coming from the east. They have seen a star, and they have followed the star a long distance. And they have come to worship the newborn king. And it makes sense in their mind that they they should just stop by Herod's palace in Jerusalem and ask him where this newborn king is at. Surely he'll know. He'll be in the loop. And so that's what they do. They stop and they ask Herod about the king. And Herod, I mean Herod inside, goes ballistic. He's the king. What's this about a newborn king? Let me know where the newborn king is at. And so he turns to the scribes and to the teachers of the law and he asks them about Is there such a thing as a newborn king written about in the prophets? And they say, sure thing. Over in Bethlehem is where he is to be born. So Herod goes back to the three, to the three, to the wise men. We don't know if there were three of them or not. And he says, the child is to be born in Bethlehem. Why don't you go and see the child and then you come back and tell me about him. Let me know where he's at because I want to go and worship him. Ha! 
That was not his intention at all. He did not want to go and worship the child. His intent was to kill the child. And who do you think was behind that plot? The dragon. Yeah, the dragon. Well, God sent the wise men home in a different direction. And he got Joseph and Mary and the baby out of Dodge just in time before Herod came into Bethlehem with all of his underlings and they killed all the baby boys in and around Bethlehem that were two years old and younger. You understand this was the first effort of the dragon to get rid of the baby. And I want you to know, he is a murderer and a schemer from the very beginning. And that's what he wants to do to you too. He's got schemes against you. He wants to murder you. He wants to destroy you. He has no good in store for you. He wants to bring you to destruction. And so when he is dangling a temptation in front of you, whatever it is, you just understand, no matter how good and glittery that temptation may look to you, what's really behind it is your destruction. Because that is what the red dragon is all about. He wants to destroy you. That's his nature. He doesn't have any good about him. There is no light in him whatsoever. And all through Jesus' life, he did battle with the dragon. And I am sure that the dragon unleashed every piece of arsenal that he had against Jesus. Every trick, every lie, every scheme trying to bring him down. But let me read to you a couple of different scriptures. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Amen? Amen? Amen. Yeah, we ought to shout hallelujah on that thought. We ought to do backflips on that thought. The fact that Jesus was without sin. It's not like God put a bubble around Jesus and the dragon couldn't get to him. No. Jesus was open season for the devil. And the devil hit him with everything he had. And yet Jesus was without sin. 1 Peter 2, 22 and 23, this is speaking of Jesus. It says, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Brothers and sisters, that is how you overcome the devil, the dragon. You entrust yourself to God completely. And that is exactly what Jesus did. To the very end, he entrusted himself to God. Have you ever thought about whether there might have been a shadow of the cross across the manger? Got a picture. 
I know it's a rendition of an artist, but I just can't help but wonder if that wasn't somewhat accurate there, that there would be a shadow of a cross across the manger because that is why He came in the first place. He came to die. He came to deliver us from the dragon. And the only way that He could do that was to give Himself up as a sacrifice for our sins. And I'm sure as that happened, the angels were longing to look. Oh my. Oh, oh my. And they're they're clued in. I mean, they're watching. And as he died that cruel death on that Friday, I just can't help but hear the deafening silence in heaven as the angels are holding their breath. I mean, they have gasped in air and they can't let it out. Oh, my. Oh. Because they didn't know. They didn't have the whole story in their mind. But can you hear the roar? Can you hear the roar of heaven on Sunday morning? As the tomb was broke open and the body of Jesus was raised to life, can you sense the high fives? Can you sense the shout of victory in heaven? Can you sense the dancing that must have taken place in heaven and the singing and the hugging and the smiles and every synonym that you can put in there? I mean, it was the party of all parties on Sunday morning. And you know what? We're still celebrating. Amen? Amen? We're still celebrating. Woo! Yeah! (laughs) He's alive! Every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection. Every day we celebrate the resurrection because without Him we would have no hope. And so as you think about the Christmas story from heaven's perspective, for the angels, there were all kinds of surprises. And they were longing to look. But there were no surprises whatsoever for God. Because it was all His plan since before the world was created. dragon was disarmed on resurrection morning. And his most potent weapon of death was overcome. Could I read for you the fate of the dragon? Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 
And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. You know what? I want to be ringside for that one. Don't you? I want to be ringside. I want to see it. And I say with the angels, Hallelujah to the Lamb who was slain. And worthy are you to receive power and honor and wisdom and riches and might and glory and blessing forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. We praise you, dear Jesus. for your victory over the dragons. And Father, may we live that victory out in our own lives today. Help us to know that the victory is ours through Jesus. It's in his name we pray.